Hello, I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Ron Martin. And we're here with the new show called The God Solution. We plan for this to be an interactive show designed to find answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. The God Solution is a show that is sponsored and supported by Master Plan Ministries, a recognized student organization here at Fort Lewis College, to address the issues that students face in their life of faith and the journey that they have here, as well as address some of the issues around the greater Durango area. There are many people here that believe faith is a valuable and important part of their lives. We want to be able to reach out to them, dialogue, share our common ideas and our goals, and see where it develops in terms of serving this community through a radio program like this. Yeah, and we're sure that there's going to be some controversy with this show. I, I know without a doubt we're not going to shy away from hard issues, and we'll probably stir up some different emotions and feelings. So mm -hmm. feel free to get in touch with us and let us know what you think about the show, and we'd love to hear feedback. Starting next week, we plan to do a live show, but this week we'll be playing a few recordings from our Connect meeting on campus. So why don't we go ahead and get started? Uh, this is a short message from last September titled, The Top 12 Lies You'll Hear in College. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. Very good. In John 8.32, Jesus says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We get true freedom by knowing the truth, which is Him, and conversely, by not believing a lie and not being in bondage because of those lies that we believe. Denzel Washington started out the movie The Great Debater saying, I'm here to help you find, take back, and keep your righteous mind. You have the mind of Christ, Scripture tells you in 1 Corinthians 2. And the goal tonight is to help you keep that. There are tons of lies you guys are going to hear on campus. This is not by any means a comprehensive list, but these are 12 big ones that a bunch of us staff and students sat down and we brainstormed and thought, what did we hear as students? What did the students hear on a regular basis? And this is kind of what we came up with. Lie number one is that your professor knows everything. I just want to give you guys a few things that we've heard from professors on this campus. And I'm not saying that all professors are bad. Don't get me wrong. I had great professors. I graduated here eight years ago with a chemistry degree. I had some phenomenal teachers, and not just in the chemistry department, in the philosophy department, and other departments. But anyway, here are some actual quotes we've heard, and you have to be discerning. We had one professor tell us students, if you're struggling with depression, you should consider suicide. That's a pretty hardcore comment coming from the front of the classroom. Okay. We had another professor make national news for kicking a student that disagreed with her politically. That's kind of interesting, right? And the student wasn't even arguing with her, just wearing a t-shirt that she didn't like, so she kicked him. Not necessarily too on track. That was on CNN, Fox News was on all the big news networks several years ago. I don't know if you guys may have heard it. We actually had a professor teaching classes about the Bible and Jesus. Telling students, you can't trust God's word because of X, Y, and Z. You can't believe in Jesus because this and this and that. And my brother, every week, would challenge him and challenge him and challenge him and finally got tired of it. And he said, look, I routinely lie to students to see if they're paying attention. That's coming from the professor, who was then grading students based on those lies. I know for certain, and I had a lot of good teachers, but I know for certain different teachers that had differences of opinion with me docked me letter grades because of it. I'm not trying to say disrespect your teachers. Be very respectful of them. You're paying good money to learn, so do everything you can to learn. But at the same time, be wise and use the mind God gave you. And just because it comes from the front, it doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Everyone has an agenda. That's not always a bad thing. Sometimes it could be an agenda to help you. But be discerning. Know what you're being told and why you're being told it and think it through and swallow the meat and spit out the bones. You guys have probably heard that before. So be aware when you're sitting in class. There's one lie that Dan has already heard twice from a professor. Dan, where are you? Can you tell us real loud what that lie is? There is no truth. 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 There
is no truth. How many of you guys have heard that one before? How many of you have heard it in a classroom? Okay, next time you hear this, simply ask, do you believe that's true? It makes a lot of sense, right? If a professor is telling you there is no truth, they believe that statement is true. In other words, by saying that statement, they just disqualified their own theory. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's actually a logical fallacy that there is no truth. It's something that cannot be repeated. And the second somebody repeats it, they're either being deceitful or ignorant. And I would say that more often than not, if they're grading you in that class, they're being deceitful. That would be the second question you could ask. So you're going to give out all A's, right? Because <laughs> if there's no truth, or if truth is relative, then we should all get A's. Because what I say is just as important as what you say, right? So, <laughs> right? So you could ask those questions. Be vigilant. You might hear things like that from professors. You might hear it from other students. I don't know. But just be ready for things like that that will come up. And those little things could cause you to start doubting. And it's good to know them beforehand. Line number three is that all religions are the same. How many of you guys have heard that one? Probably a lot of you. I'm going to just read to you a great quote from Steve Turner, and he kind of summarizes that this way. He says, all religions are basically the same. They all believe in love and goodness. Isn't that kind of what we always hear? Then he continues, they only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. <laughs> right? So, they're not so similar. Right? They are not so similar at all. I'm not saying that we should be mean to people that believe differently in us. I'm not saying anything like that. But what I'm saying is there are major differences. It's important for us, if we're going to be intellectually honest, to recognize those from the start. And to be able to say, yeah, there are differences, major differences. Following from that lie, you guys may have heard that Christianity is intolerant. I hear that all the time. And before I go further on that, we've acted that way to a lot of people. Okay? So, and we need to ask their forgiveness. We need to represent Christ to them. We need to walk in love and show them that love just like Jesus showed it to us. And there are some people that we need to apologize to, even if we've never personally offended them. Maybe other Christians have, and we can say on their behalf, I want to ask your forgiveness for the way Christians have treated you in the past. That's a message they need to hear. But I want to tell you guys, when you think about intolerance, so is your math class, Right? If you say 2 plus 2 equals 5, your math professor is going to be very intolerant. And he's going to say, you're wrong. Truth by nature is exclusive. 2 plus 2 is always 4. It's never 5. That's the reality of truth, is it is exclusive. Now, it shouldn't be intolerant in a mean way, right? But we should be able to know that certain things are true and certain things are not. Now, here's kind of the difference, I think. It's okay to say, I believe this is right and that is wrong. But then through my life to show love for people that I disagree with. Does that make sense? And that's true tolerance. When I can say, man, I really disagree with you, but I love you just the same. So we shouldn't be intolerant in our actions, but we should be able to stand on God's truth and say truth is truth, and here's why. And we should be able to explain that. That's not being intolerant. Think of it this way. Gregory Kokel makes a great distinction in tactics. He says, Jesus' teaching made some people furious. Just make sure it's your ideas that offend and not you. That it's your beliefs that cause the dispute and not your behavior. Let's make sure that if people are getting mad at us, it's not because of the way we're treating them. Let's treat them with love. In fact, Jesus told us that the world will hate us because it hated him too. Line number five, the party scene is fulfilling. Maybe you've never heard that from a professor. Maybe you have. But I'm sure you've all heard that from friends or maybe been invited. Partying, drinking, drugs, and sexual experimentation will leave you lonely, insecure, afraid, empty, lost, confused, and searching for acceptance and love. People do this stuff to get acceptance and friendship, and it doesn't happen. It leaves them empty. 
Now check this out. This is sad. This is according to the American College Health Association. 50% of college students doing the whole party scene, living the whole college life, during their college career will become so depressed they will not be able to function. That's the result of some of this stuff, okay? Suicide is the second leading cause of death among college students. Something's missing. In a recent study done by MTV, they found 42% of college students define themselves as lonely. And I think that's why they're running to the party scene. They're running because they're looking for acceptance. They're looking for somebody that's going to love them. Compare all that stuff with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what we see when other Christians are around us. And that's how we should treat each other. With unconditional love, with unconditional acceptance, with unconditional joy. You guys in this room, I love hanging out with you. Because this is so much more satisfying than any party scene. Just getting to be with you guys. Okay, here's line number six. Porn, hooking up, and sex outside of marriage are satisfying. Howard Hendricks put it this way. He said, we should not be ashamed to discuss what God was not ashamed to create. God made sex to be awesome, guys. And I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you and say, don't talk about it. Be quiet. God made it awesome. And I don't want to tell you not to have sex because it's bad. Well, there are some dangerous things that can happen, I'll share. But the real reason not to have sex before marriage, guys, is because sex after marriage is so awesome. It's so great, and it's not worth sacrificing. It really isn't. Let me just go through a few stats here. Right now, 65 million Americans have incurable STDs. 65 million Americans. Okay? Stanford University estimates that one-fourth of all college students have incurable STDs at this young age already. Their entire lives hindered. Their future sex lives already compromised because of something that happened in college. There are broken relationships, broken marriages, and broken families in our society at a level that's never been recognized on this planet because of experimentation with all these different sexual things. That goes to porn, too. Porn is not a safe alternative to sex. Guys, it destroys us from the inside out. So I want to encourage you guys, don't wait because of all that, but wait because it's so great afterwards. Sex is really good in marriage. God made it to grow and be progressive and get better and better and better. Because you're in a committed relationship where you each want to serve each other. There's no performance acceptance. There's no selfishness, but it's serving. And when you have a partner like that committed for life, it is awesome and very fulfilling. Okay, line number seven. I can get my life right with God later. There is a student here that I talk to almost every week about God. And almost every week that student would tell me, Nate, I'm going to do the party scene. I'm going to have my fun now. I believe in God, but I'm not ready to trust Christ. In the future, I'm going to make that decision. But right now, I want to have all my fun. Some of you guys know this guy. He got killed coming back from summer break a couple years ago. I don't know what God was doing in his head as he was driving that car. I don't know what conversation he was having with God. I would be the last person in the world to judge him and say he's not in heaven. In fact, God is so merciful. I am so confident that God got him in that car and said, let's connect, buddy before that tragic accident occurred. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. I can't just put it off hoping to have all my fun now. In fact, a life with Christ is all my fun now. It's the greatest life possible. All right, here's lie number eight. I don't need fellowship. Have you guys heard that? Sometimes students will say this. They say, I can just connect with God in the mountains. You know what I say to that? You're right. You can, right? Can't you guys? Can't you connect with God walking in the mountains? In fact, that's, you could ask Russ. It's probably one of the best places, John. It's probably about as good a place to connect with God as you can imagine. And probably 
All of us would say, man, we have more intimate times with God in the mountains than we do in church. I'm not going to lie. I've had some great times walking and praying and talking with God. But here's the flip side of that coin. I also need you guys. I'm not there on my own. Sometimes there's going to be sin in my life that you guys need to point out. Nate, I didn't like your attitude the other day. And I need somebody to show me that. Sometimes I'm going to need your guys' encouragement. Maybe I'm going through a hard time. And Shelby, you're going to say, Nate, I prayed for you today. Gosh, and that uplifts me. Does that make sense? We all need each other. We can't do it alone. So my challenge to you tonight is commit either here or somewhere. Commit to a place where they're going to love you and accept you and encourage you to grow. We want to do that for each of you. If you don't feel comfortable here, sometimes people are like, I just really don't feel like I can connect there. It saddens me, but you know what? Connect somewhere. Because you're going to grow best in in a family that loves you and is going to help you grow. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR. And we're about to hear the ninth lie out of a presentation titled, The Top 12 Lies You'll Hear in College. Thanks for tuning in. Lie number nine is that science and Christianity don't mix. Have you guys heard that one? I was a chemistry major. I've heard that kind of stuff all the time. Anyway, so here's the first misconception. It's that faith and data don't mix. Faith is over here. Knowledge is over there. Faith is over here. Fact is over there. Everything solid's there. Faith is wishy-washy over here, right? You guys have kind of heard that. You can't have faith without knowledge, and you can't have knowledge without faith. If you take a few years of college, you'll find all knowledge is based on some assumptions. And those assumptions are taken by faith. Every scientific study that's ever been done had fundamental assumptions at its foundation. And every step of faith anybody's ever taken also had some aspects of knowledge. They're not mutually exclusive, but they go hand in hand. I think the more your knowledge grows, the more faith will grow too, especially in God and His Word. And the more your faith grows, I hope the more your knowledge will grow also. Philippians 1.9 says that. So I pray that your love would grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That was a prayer for us about our walks with God. They are not mutually exclusive. The other part of that, the second misconception, is that evolution destroys Christianity. I love this topic. We've done debates on all that. I'm not even going to go into all of it, but I just, I'm just going to list five points. If evolution occurred, we would see it in the fossil record. We don't. The fossil record is a huge problem for evolution. And there are major evolutionists that quickly admit that. Okay, if it occurred, we'd have a scientifically confirmable method. Something that you could reproduce. That's the scientific method. It has to be reproducible. We don't have such a method. If it occurred, it would have to explain how life came from non-life. They can't do that. They can say how some organic molecules came from a possible primordial soup, but those organic molecules are a long shot from actual life. And to get from one to the other, the statistics are unfathomable. If evolution occurred, they would have to explain where design and information came from. You have more design and information in your body, and this universe has even more. And that didn't just happen. When you see these notes, you know it wasn't chance that created them. Something programmed some information into these notes. Where did that information come from? That's a question that has to be answered. And then finally, even if they could answer all those questions, the fundamental question that they're stuck with is where did matter come from? Because the existence of this stuff in this room right now tonight, it defies the first and second laws of thermodynamics. There had to be a supernatural explanation for the existence of matter. That's actually a direct result of Einstein's theory of special relativity. It's pretty phenomenal stuff. All right, guys. The third misconception is that the Bible itself is scientifically inaccurate. Okay, the Bible is full of science. 
which there's no way random humans thousands of years ago could have put in there. But beyond that, guys, a lot of the greatest scientists in history have been Christians. Check this out. Radioactive decay, talked about in 2 Peter 3.10. So accurately, it's almost an exact textbook definition. It was discovered by Becquerel, a Christian, in 1896. That's the modern scientist that discovered it. The Bible talked about it in 65 AD, 1,831 years before science caught up. That's pretty phenomenal. The Bible says the earth's foundation is hung on nothing. That's in the book of Job. Copernicus discovered that. He was a Christian, by the way. And he discovered that in 1543, 2,143 years after the Bible stated it. Lavoisier discovered that air has weight 2,378 years after the Bible said that very thing in the book of Job also. The second law of thermodynamics that we just talked about, that everything's going towards entropy. That's discussed in the Bible. Isn't that phenomenal? It's in Isaiah 51. As a scientist, that's pretty unbelievable that this major law of science would be discussed in the Bible. And get this, it was discussed 2,378 years before Max Planck discovered it. Max Planck, by the way, was also a Christian. Galileo, the father of astronomy and analytical science, Newton, the pioneer of modern physics, Descartes, the originator of modern mathematics, Pasteur, the founder of microbiology, those are just a few of the Christians that have been pioneers in the scientific world. So I want to encourage you in, in your faith today, science does not contradict your faith. But you stand on the shoulders of a lot of Christian thinkers that have led the charge in the scientific world. The Bible is full of science, and it's scientifically accurate. All right, lie number 10. You can't trust the Bible. How many of you have heard, it's been translated so many times, you don't know what was originally said? Every time I hear that, I'm like, <laughs> okay. and that question's been answered so many times. You can't. No, seriously, that question is completely ignorant, and it's not based in any kind of research. You guys, there are thousands of copies of the original manuscripts. So even if it was translated 58 billion times, you can still go back to the originals and see what was said. It's pretty cool, right? And those originals, by the way, are the most authentic manuscript in the entire ancient world. We don't have any doubts about what was originally written because we have so many thousands of copies so close to the actual sources. It's pretty phenomenal. Beyond that, though, guys, the Bible is scientifically accurate like we just discussed. It's historically accurate. Lots of religious texts talk about history that never occurred, people that never existed, cities that have never been found. The Bible isn't that way. Everything that we read in the Bible, we can go find in history. Archaeology supports it all the time. And even in cases where archaeologists have said, ha-ha, the Bible missed it. It talked about the Hittites, for example, and they've never been found. Well, shortly after that, they find multiple Hittite cities, the entire Hittite language, the entire Hittite alphabet. Science, whether it's archaeology or chemistry or biology, is always catching up with what the Bible already says. Okay, beyond historically accurate statements, the Bible makes prophetic claims. A lot of religious texts make prophetic claims that never occur. The Bible is unique in making prophetic claims that always occur. Listen to this. This is phenomenal. The Bible said that Cyrus would rebuild Jerusalem a hundred years before Jerusalem was destroyed and a hundred years before Cyrus was born. And it names him by name. That's phenomenal. That's in Isaiah 44. It talks about Alexander the Great in such fine detail, prophetically, that critics used to say it was post-written history. Does that make sense? In other words, that's so accurate that there's no way it was written before Alexander the Great. Then the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, which went back before that time. And now there's not a critic alive that even knows how to deal with this. Because the Bible is so accurate in that prophetic claim. 
Get this, Jesus' crucifixion prophesied in Psalm 22. You know what the cool thing about that is? It was a thousand years before crucifixion was even invented. Isn't that phenomenal? So not only does it prophesy that he's going to die that way, but it does so a thousand years before that form of punishment was even invented or used. That just blows my mind. Now you look at Jesus. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies in just one man. Can you believe that? It would take a lot of faith to say he isn't who he says he is. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies. The odds of just 8 are 1 in 10 to the 17th power. I didn't come up with that stat. Josh McDowell did. So those are just a few of the reasons you guys can trust the Bible. Is that kind of building your confidence in God's Word? You guys, this is by no means exhaustive. We could really go on and on and on, but I'm going to cut it short. Lie number 11 is that college students are not interested in Jesus. 96.7% of this year's freshmen here at Fort Lewis indicated on the surveys that we did with them in the last two weeks that they have some level of spiritual interest. That's pretty cool. It's almost everyone has a level of spiritual interest. And the average level of spiritual interest is 6.3 out of 10. It's fairly high. So you can know with confidence that the students around you are interested in Jesus. 33%, one-third of those students, wanted us to get back in touch with them and tell them more about Jesus. See, if you look at all those stats about the hopelessness, the insecurities, the fear, the pain, all this stuff that the world offers, and compare that with the love and the joy and the peace that Christ offers, the forgiveness of my sins... How can he not be attractive, right? He's the most attractive thing I've ever known. Most of you guys have found the same thing. And I want to encourage you guys that if you are a believer, you get to share the greatest news the world's ever known with other people. And people are hungry to hear that. Lie number 12, and this is the last one, I promise, is that Jesus was just a good teacher or a nice guy. How many of you have heard that? He was just a good moral teacher. I want you guys to notice something about that. Everybody likes Jesus. If you went and asked 100 people on this campus, do you like church? What do you think the answer would be? No. Probably because a lot of Christians have been jerks. But if you ask those same 100 people, what do you think about Jesus? I think almost all of them, at least from my experience, would have very positive thoughts about Jesus himself. Now, they're not necessarily correct in their thinking. Here's what Jesus said. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Streams of living water will flow from within him. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through the darkness, because you will have the light that leads to life. All who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the darkness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Anyone who listens to my teaching and obeys me is wise. Anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross and follow me. How do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Sin is unbelief in me. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. 
Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal as friends. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Be sure of this, I am with you always. I will never fail you, I will never forsake you. That's good, huh? That's what Jesus promises us. It's a lot better than anything I'm going to get at anywhere else. C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said, Either Jesus is a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He can't just be a good teacher. He's one of those three. Because if he claimed that stuff, and he knew he wasn't telling the truth, then he was a liar. And if he claimed that stuff and he wasn't really God, then he was an absolute lunatic. Those are the only options. That or he really is who he says he is. Lord, Savior, God. If you know Jesus, he's put you here to share him, the only hope in this world, with those around you. And people are so hungry. I've been talking to college students on this campus for 12 years. I can tell you confidently that in all those years, I think I've had two people ever not want to talk about Jesus. And coincidentally, both those people were people I wasn't even talking with. They overheard us and interjected from another table. One of them threw a snowball at me, so it was outside. But anyway, that's guys, people are hungry to hear about Jesus. They want to know about him. Now, if you know him, share him with the people around you. Live a life that shows him to the world. They need to see him in you. And then, get this, guys, if you don't know Jesus, he says he loves you, but here's a big issue. You're sinful. You're separated from God. Every one of us knows that sin always hurts relationships, right? If I came up and punched you right in the nose, broke your glasses, tomorrow you're probably not going to want to hang out. <laughs> sin, being selfish, it always pulls relationships apart. And that's what my sin does with God. We had a guy last year that we shared the gospel with, and he said, if that's true, and we're all sinful... He said, how come all you Christians are always so happy? <laughs> he said, why are you guys always singing? That's bad news. <laughs> and we said, we said, yeah, but there's good news too. <laughs> the good news is that Jesus died on the cross and he paid for all your sin from your past, your present, and your future. He covered it all. And then you have to make a decision. Are you going to receive that or not? He paid for it. And now I can let him come into my life and forgive my sins. He leaves the ball in my court. He lets me put my trust in him. Wow, that is fascinating, Nate. What a great presentation. We do have the story of one of our students named Dakota who would like to share a few comments from his life. Growing up, I didn't uh, really know anything about Jesus Christ. That was because both my parents were Native American, Navajo and Sioux, and I grew up uh, just believing their spiritual beliefs, like going to meetings, rituals, and all that stuff. And so I had an idea of a God I just really did my own thing, and uh, I just did everything for me, being selfish, you know. Then actually, last summer I met this girl, and she was a believer, so she invited me to this youth group back at home. This is where I first heard the gospel, all about Jesus and what Jesus did for me. And so at this point I still really wasn't sure about there's a God or anything like that, because I just still wanted to just do my things my way. And then I started college up at Fort Lewis. I got invited from a friend to go to the youth group on campus. 
I heard John 3.16, which is, uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, and that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And that, to me, just it hit me really hard and just made me realize like how selfish and how sinful I am, that He loved me so much that He gave His only Son to die for me, die for my sins. I don't know how He could love me after like how sinful and selfish I was. And so everything that I believed and wanted and just tried to do, it didn't last and it didn't satisfy me. And just I had this feeling that something inside me was missing in my life and that I needed something that I could count on forever, which was Jesus. And so seeing that in my life, that like my life was just so much more than just me. And I could uh, live my life in confidence knowing that nothing could snatch me away from Him. Soon after I realized that, probably a couple of days after I heard that verse, I really took it upon myself to put my, all my faith in Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. Just ever since that, I've been putting my faith into Jesus. Just everything in my life has changed. Everything that I've, like, the way I see and perceive things. And seeing, just seeing the fruit of the Spirit work in my life is just so amazing. And it opened my eyes up to how God made me. And because of that, I don't have to worry about like what this world thinks of me, and I could just live for Him. So far, I'm still working and getting closer to Him every day, and it's just been amazing. We really appreciate Dakota sharing his story with us. And no matter where you're at or where you're coming from, Jesus stands with His arms wide open to you and desires a relationship with you just like Dakota was talking about. Nate, how would people find out more about Master Plan? Next Tuesday, March 15th, we'll be in the Vicedo Room starting at 7.30 p.m., and we'd love to have you stop by and join us. You can also go to eternityimpact.blogspot.com. Again, that's eternityimpact.blogspot.com. And feel free to leave comments about today's program or to share different thoughts or ideas that you might have and definitely find out more information about us there. Excellent. We encourage you to do so. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much again, and have a great evening.